Hello and welcome to the Level Playing Field podcast. My name is Liam Bird and I'm the fan liaison officer at Level Playing Field, the national charity that advocates and campaigns for better access and inclusion for sporting fans who would like to attend live sport. In this month's episode, we will be focusing on something a little closer to home because we will be discussing Level Playing Field weeks of action. For you people who are not in the know, Weeks of Action is our annual two-week campaign where we invite clubs, fans and associations to celebrate good access and inclusion in sporting venues across England and Wales. This year's campaign starts on Saturday, February the 27th until March the 14th. Sadly, this year's campaign will look very different due to the global pandemic. But the message of Weeks of Action won't change, and that is access for all. And if you would like to back this year's campaign from your home, you can do that by taking a selfie of yourself in your team colours and then posting it on social media, letting us know how much you are missing live sport. Don't forget to end your post with hashtag access for all. But let's get back to who I'm talking to in this episode. I talked to Wolves Disability Access Officer, or DAO, Laura Wright, as well as Notts County Commercial and Fan Engagement Executive, Alice Kilk, to discuss how their club aims to celebrate this year's Weeks of Action and why it shouldn't be seen as just a token gesture. I also speak to former Minister for Sport and Tottenham season ticket holder, Tracy Crouch MP. We talk about her support for this year's campaign and her part in one of the biggest changes to access and inclusion for disabled sports fans with her work on the Premier League pledge. But before all that, we start where we should always start and that's with the fans. I talked to Middlesbrough supporter Owen Swift and Joe McNichol, the chair of Tottenham Hotspur's DSA, to understand what the Weeks of Action campaign means to the fans. So staring down the computer screens at me, I have Owen Swift, who is a Middlesbrough, um, Middlesbrough, <laughs> a Middlesbrough supporter. Gonna be along there. So Owen, uh, staring down at me uh, is Owen. How are you, Owen? Yeah, good, thank you. Good, good, good. And then I also have Joe McNichol, who is the chair of Spurs DSA. How are you, Joe? Very well, thanks, Liam. Let's talk weeks of action then. So as disabled supporters, what does it mean to have a campaign that aims to celebrate disability access and inclusion? Because some naysayers may say it's just a kind of a token gesture event. It's just something for two weeks and then it goes away. I'm going to come to you first, Joe. I, I don't think that's the case. I think it's a time to celebrate and show what we've done, show what it means to the fans and keep it in people's minds that we're here, what we need we're not we're not a nuisance we're, we're just fans that want to watch football like everybody else and some of us need extra facilities so I just feel it's good to have two weeks to show that there's other campaigns that have their weeks and it, that it's still in the forefront of everyone's mind like rainbow laces and things like that so I think it's brilliant and we really do need to showcase what what we do. I suppose one of the big things of Weeks of Action was always kind of like match day activities we were always kind of very visible and this year obviously that's not going to happen because of the obvious really. So how important is it that Weeks of Action continues even though there's no fans in the stadium, Owen? Oh, no, yeah, just just to keep it like refresh it in people's minds that we are there sort of thing and that every club should be inclusive to for all it does sort of refresh not only the club's mind but supporters minds as well that we want to be there as much as anyone else and deserve to be there joe weeks of action has now been going for for 17 years and over those years i think it's quite right to say that there has been a progression 
in accessibility on match day and inclusion i mean have you seen i don't want to age you but <laughs> have you seen that over the years obviously from white heart lane and then going to your new ground but also i know you're quite an avid and away travel you go to europe and you go to games in the uk as well have you seen the progression over those 17 years yeah there's actually been loads there's still more to do but we have made massive progression i mean that there was times where you'd have two wheelchair tickets for an away game and so that's really not fair that the same two people are the same that go every time. But at the end of the day, it should be everyone should be able to go, but you should be treated like all the other fans where if there is loyalty and it's a certain amount. But we're fighting over two tickets. So that's massively increased since the accessible stadium came out. So now I would say I think an average is about 20 wheelchairs and obviously the ambulance as well. The majority now do allow us to sit with our own fans, which is really important to me. But there is still a few clubs out there which have chosen not to change their grounds to accommodate that. Um, so there is still improvements to be done, but absolutely massive improvements have been made over the years I've been going to football. You've kind of touched on the the, the away grounds and, and, and uh, some fans not seeing there, but putting that to the side, what other improvements do you think are still needed for fans? And Owen, I'll come to you for more of a, a lower league viewpoint in a second. But um... Hi, mate. All right. <laughs> 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 but for you, Joe, I mean, what, what improvements do still need to be made? I, I think that they could have a variety of positions. Obviously, the grounds that don't allow you to sit with your fans, that should be a high priority. It shouldn't be allowed um, because you wouldn't sit your normal fans, for want of a better word, in with the home fans. There would always be trouble. And we get we have to face that, that we shouldn't, we shouldn't have to put, through, put up with that. So I would say that always needs to be done. Also, there are grounds where you're still with your away fans, but you're below pitch level or you're at the very front. And then obviously when, you know, exciting things happen in the match, like you score a goal, the fans behind will just surge forward and land on top of you. So safety has to come in it as well. So if they can't move you so you've not got that, then it needs to block rows off or have barriers, slight barriers up, but to still be included with your fans. So there's a lot of that that needs doing. And then obviously... Um, for me, it's not a problem, but some people find that if you have to go through a really cr- uh, crowded concourse to get to your seat, then it, it will be good to offer the alternative. So there is ways to get there without having to do that. What about you, Owen? I'm, I know I made a crack about lower league, but I mean, that, that joke is kind of on me as well as a Forest fan. But <laughs> I mean, for yourself, uh, what what things do you think still need to be improved? Yeah, Joe, Joe hit the nail on the head with the um, sitting I'll use, like I, I use normal fans as a as an example you wouldn't sit normal fans with um with well the home the opposition fans so i think that needs to and joe as the chair of spurs ability that the, the tottenham dsa how important is it because we spoke about non-disabled supporters standing rushing how important is it that we also educate the non-disabled supporters about disability and how much of a role should weeks of action play in doing that yeah i think we should include everyone so they're just aware that we are in the whole scheme of things we're just fans like anyone else it's just some of us need extra facilities and obviously we can't in a wheelchair go down 20 steps to our seat so we do have to have the seat where they put us and to understand that it's not our choice it's not a privilege to sit at the front we don't you know some some fans are happy there some aren't we don't have a choice in where we sit we're just put wherever that stadium wants to put with put us so I feel that then you know they need to be aware of that and the new stadiums they do take that into consideration for our 
Spain, for example, has wheelchair viewing areas in every stand in all different positions. So you can actually have a choice of where you prefer to watch the game. Good to highlight that to other fans that, you know, it's not our choice. We don't want to sit there. Owen, you took part in the starring role of last year's Weeks of Action video, where we spoke about the the importance of disability inclusion on match days. Uh, We've been away from stadiums for nearly a year. How do we continue to make sure that that message from last year is still spoken about this year, even though fans aren't in the stadium? It's a tough one. You just got to keep pushing it, keep it fresh in, in people's thoughts. And, and although I know none of us are in there, but we hopefully we will be soon, like back in into stadium. So like I said, we've been away from football for nearly a year. Guessing you're both missing it, like, mm-hmm. like um, everyone else. What are you missing the most about being at live football, Joe? I just miss meeting up with my friends the whole day, really. The meeting in the pub beforehand, getting to the ground, bumping into everybody I know and just having a good day out and you forget about everything else. And then obviously it doesn't matter about the result all as much as it is when you're watching at home on the TV because you've still had your day out, you're still meeting your friends, so you can all drink and drown your sorrows or celebrate when you win. So it, that sort of side of it is just not there. It's just a game now. There's no celebrating or commiserating. You just switch the telly off and that's that's that done. Usually when you're 3-0 down at half-time. <laughs> <laughs> What about you, Owen? I mean, what were you missing about being at... Um, I, I nearly called you the um, something Cell Stadium. Obviously, Riverside hasn't been called that in years. Uh, cell, cell Net Stadium. Cell Net Stadium. Now it's <laughs> no, like, I, I'm the same as what Joe said. I seen a tweet the other day and it said, I've just realised that I don't actually love football. I love going to the pub before and meeting up with friends, like exactly what George just said, which was quite accurate, I thought. Like, obviously, like, I, I want my team to do well. I, like Last night, I got a buzz from, from being 2-1 down and then winning, but it's not the same as if you were, you've spent all day like travelling all the way to, I don't know, Brighton, whatever, getting a late goal, you know. And then travelling back, you're happy, you've got the radio on, you, you've seen the players, you've seen your mates, you've been to the pub. It's it's all like the bits in between, not just the 90 minutes, if you get me. Thank you for talking to me, guys. This has been great. I look forward to seeing both of you celebrate weeks of action in your own way. I've now put Owen on the spot there. He's going to do something. But <laughs> thank you for chatting to me. And um, I hope I get to see you all at a game soon enough. Thank you to Joe and Owen for taking the time to talk to me. If you'd like to know more about the Tottenham Hotspurs DSA as well as Middlesbrough DSA, you can find a link to both of those organisations via the episode description of this podcast. Tracy Crouch has been a Member of Parliament since 2010 and in 2015 was made the Minister of Sport, a position she held until 2017. I wanted to speak to Tracy about weeks of action, the Premier League pledge, as well as what lasting effects the pandemic might have on football. But first, we talk a little OK football. Hello, Tracy. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Let's talk about football first. A Spurs fan, mixed season, you might win a trophy, you might not. You're playing, let's face it, okay football. I mean, how are you feeling? Well, I always describe myself as a long-suffering Spurs fan. I'm probably one of the most 
pessimistic Spurs fan that you could ever find. I, I, I always sort of kind of sit there starting from a position of doom and gloom and then end up, you know, surprised if if we end up having a good result. But, uh, you know, it's been, a, it's been a mixed season. We've had our ups, we've had our downs, but I always get frustrated when we should have beaten sides that, you know, are below us in the table. And then we don't, then we seem to sort of perform really well at sides that are above us in the table. And it's just like, oh, if you'd played like that against the you know, lower end clubs, then we might actually be at the top. I mean, you as are... I say, long, long suffering. <laughs> I mean, you are in the final of the League Cup and that seems to be Mourinho's cup. So you've got to feel a little bit positive. I know it's Man City, but you've got to feel quite positive about that. Well, you know, I, I'm always interested and intrigued to see what we uh, what we do in cup finals. But as I say, it's sort of kind of also one of those situations where you just start from a position of, oh, we're going to lose it and then <laughs> be surprised when we don't. Because, it's you know, we always talk about how it's the hope that kills, you know. So if you don't have any hope, <laughs> you can't be disappointed. <laughs> I've spoken like a true football fan. So let's let's kind of uh, kick on then. So as a former minister of sport, you've seen firsthand the power that sport can have in society. So with that in mind, how important is it that all disabled people have access to attend live sport if they choose to do so? Well, one of the things that I wrote into my sports strategy quite deliberately when we published it in December 2015 uh, was actually about how seeing sport can have the equal feeling as actually participating in sport. So there was a specific section within the sports strategy about how we engage people with disabilities in sport. Uh, and actually that viewing of sport was incredibly important part of that. Enabling people with a disability to be able to access sport was absolutely essential because there may be significant challenges to participation, but there shouldn't be those significant challenges to the enjoyment uh, of watching sport. What's interesting is that you were a major part, actually, one of probably one of the biggest milestones in disabled supporters being able to access live sport. Because back in 2015, when you were the Minister of Sport, you backed the pledge by the Premier League for equal access for disabled fans after essentially 15 long year campaign for from level playing field. The pledge ensured that clubs met a minimum number of wheelchair user spaces, the appointment of DAOs by all clubs and ensuring that a significant number of wheelchair user bays are located in the away stand. There was other things as well as a steward training website improvement ticketing policing and parking in your opinion how important was this pledge in achieving greater accessibility for disabled supporters attending premier league games i mean it was hugely important and the thing that frustrated me at the time as a minister was that these barriers existed you know i am a great believer in equality and i didn't think that people should be disqualified from going to see sport because of barriers to entry and accessibility and i would say that actually it wasn't just me that was passionate about this it was also uh, Justin Tomlinson disability minister and still is he and I both held the then chief executive of the Premier League Richard Scudamore's feet to the fire on it and to be fair to Richard I think he started to take it quite seriously I obviously left government in 2018 at the end of 2018 and so you know I I don't know what progress or what lack of progress there has been since I left office but certainly we were beginning to make significant strides I think in terms of ensuring that stadium was accessible that people could go and watch sport if they wanted to and certainly 
I think there are some clubs that took it exceptionally seriously. We were talking about Tottenham earlier. Tottenham, as part of its rebuild of its stadium, did some phenomenal work in terms of um, making sure that uh, people with disabilities, and particularly wheelchair users, were able to access the ground. They've increased the number of, uh, of spaces there, both actually home and away. And then they've added other other disabilities into some of the thinking around the stadium you know that there are obviously challenges for clubs where they've got ancient grounds but that shouldn't be an excuse certainly with all the redevelopment that is happening across football at the moment or in other sports you know I'd like to think that actually there is being there or certainly there was until Covid hit that there was being some progress made on this. Level playing field weeks of action core value is to celebrate access and inclusion in watching live sport but Still, our sister charity, Cafe, did some research a few years back, which found that 50% of disabled people have never had the opportunity to attend a live sporting or public event. How do we overcome the barriers, either actual or perceived, to enable more disabled people to attend live sport? I was really interested to see that statistic, and I'd love to know a little bit more about it and drill down to it, because I was actually quite surprised that it was only 50%. I think, uh, you know, there are a lot of people in society who don't get to go and see live sport for a variety of reasons, whether they uh, are disabled or not. So I wondered what was behind the 50% and because I would have put it much higher myself. I would have thought it was much higher than 50%. And I sometimes wonder whether or not it is just about the physical barriers to watching live sport or whether or not there are other things that actually put people off from going to watch live sport, whether or not it's general prejudice towards people with a disability that people are afraid of, whether or not it's actually getting to the stadium, not the stadium itself, but whether or not there are transport issues that deter people from getting involved, or whether or not it's financial. You know, many people with disabilities have limited financial means and going to watch a live sporting event is very expensive. Although on the face of it, The question uh, or the answer to the question is that 50 percent of people have been put off going. It's not quite clear as to why that is. So I'd like to know more and I'd like to know why it was actually only 50 percent, because I would personally thought it would be much higher. How important is it to see representation then in like celebration and activities? So like weeks of action this year has gone virtual. But how important is it still that football celebrates its diverse community? We've seen it throughout uh, with rainbow laces and kick it out um, activities. So how important is it that weeks of action is still a focal part in, in celebration of sport? I think it's really important. I think Weeks of Action provides that opportunity to to highlight some of the challenges, some of the things that can be done to overcome those challenges. Having footballers you know, get involved in this message, I think, is something that can be quite inspiring. And I'm not somebody who is particularly down on footballers. I think that footballers do a really good job in raising profile of various causes. And we've seen it throughout a number of causes, whether it's to do with Black Lives Matter or whether it's to do with kicking out racism or homophobia or actually getting involved with particular charities and trusts and you know we've seen footballers who've who've had very close relationships with supporters particularly young supporters with various life-threatening conditions or disabilities and I think sometimes they raise awareness of those disabilities or conditions especially you know the rarer they they are so I've always thought that actually getting footballers involved in some of these messaging is a really good idea because I I think otherwise the general public can become quite fatigued by lots of different campaigns and actually having professional sports men and women involved I think changes 
people's mindset on that. So one of the things we talk about a lot at Level Playing Field is, is how disability access is, is an evolving process. We spoke about the, the Premier League pledge. Disability is always kind of like always moving forward. I mean, how do we continue to keep minds like sharp and focused? Well, I think we always have to hang over the threat of there being legislative change that forces people to do things if they don't do it voluntarily. And I think that's always been there in the background is that actually if clubs or if stadium managers or whoever don't do things to make it so that people with a disability can access their stadium, then government will force them to do it. And that's not a position that government likes to get involved in necessarily. But, you know, certainly we have always been supportive of the threat of a court case against football in particular, um, if they didn't buck their ideas up and start making changes. And I think that still exists. We're coming up to nearly a year the last time football stadiums were full of fans. And from our own survey that we've done this year, we've seen that mental and physical impacts uh, not being able to attend live sport. Some people might not know, but you were diagnosed with breast cancer, which I, I'm thinking it will put you in the high risk category that the government set out. So I think people might be interested. To, I don't know how regular you were going to go and watch Spurs, but how have you found not being able to go and watch live sport as well as other liberties that have been taken away um, due to the pandemic? I have a season ticket at Tottenham. I've saved a huge amount of money for disappointment <laughs> this year. When I'm not watching Tottenham, I like to go to non-league football. And actually throughout my diagnosis, we were allowed to go and watch non-league football for a while. So I was able to go and watch some sport, some live sport, just be a bit more careful. I started being clinically vulnerable when my chemotherapy started in September, which sort of coincided actually not long after with the suspension of fans in football. So it, it, it's been challenging um, because I do like to I do like to watch live sport. I think it has a different atmosphere than on the TV. And I think that engagement with the sports men and women on the field is something that is important as part of the sort of kind of cathartic experience of being there. So I'm looking forward to, like many people, um, sport being allowed to have fans back in the stadium uh, because I think it is an important part of sport. You know, it's not just about the business of sport, but I think actually being part of the game and being tied up with the emotion uh, of the game is what makes going to watch sport such an important process. In September last year, you asked the Prime Minister to go into more depth regarding government spending to support sport during the pandemic. As I said before, we're nearly 12 months on since stadiums were full of fans. With limited funds coming in and the hardship that are now being reported by clubs across the league, could you potentially see a setback in, in progress and, impo- and improvement for disabled fans? Well, I hope not, is the answer to that last point. I mean, I think the truth is, is football is business. And, you know, there are lots of businesses that are impacted by COVID. And government has tried to support those businesses throughout in various different ways. Um, and, you know, sport shouldn't be exempt from that help, but it shouldn't necessarily get special sort of kind of say it more than any other business, I think. Um, you know, I, I look around me and I see you know, hairdressers and beauticians and, you know, other organisations that bring so much joy and pleasure to people's lives going bust. And, you know, you can't necessarily see see how you can support football over them. And so it's always that really challenging position. But what 
has happened with in terms of interventions is both by supporting clubs to try and you know help make their uh, ends meet through business rates and and so on but also for grassroots sport and one of the things that I was very disappointed to read in the earlier days of of covid not now is that some of the national governing bodies were thinking about scaling back on some of the programs at grassroots level for both women and those with disabilities and i think that's just easy target it's sort of kind of low-hanging fruit and and it's always women and disabilities that sort of kind of get axed first i think there was such a backlash on that that those national governing bodies did review the position on that but i would be i'd be very disappointed if as we come out through the end of this, that it is the schemes and the programmes that provide people with disabilities with so much pleasure and joy and actually are not hugely expensive that end up getting axed because, you know, they need to continue to pay for their elite men's teams. Um, I mean, that's something that I would be furious about, to be honest with you. Do you think football have got a bit of the rough end of the stick during the pandemic, though, politically wise because at the early stages it seems to be like there was a focus on football and footballers do you think it's what i'm really asking is like do you think football is always kind of the the seen as the 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 money laden lands that really it isn't yeah i do i think it's they're an easy target i think it's often a miscalculation in terms of uh, politicians to attack both the sport and the, the individuals that participate in it and i think actually it's often born through ignorance actually about who the players are, what they do outside of what they do on the pitch and and so on. And actually, the, you know, the Premier League footballers that I've always you know been engaged with are extremely kind, very generous, you know, get involved with their communities. A lot of the, the international players sponsor entire like townships back at home and things like that. And we don't see that. We only ever see the negative side of of football and footballers so I do think that you know sometimes they they are unfairly uh, criticized that said sometimes they should be criticized and they receive the you know what the ire of the masses as a consequence and I can completely understand why people get particularly upset at the moment where we can't hug a loved one um, outside our bubble but you know footballers are celebrating on the pitch and it's hard because you know I've played football and you get caught up in the emotion of scoring goals and I get that but at the same time you know there's there is a sort of kind of you know just stop and think for a second. So in the near future hopefully we will all be returning back to to stands what's the thing you're most looking forward to obviously about not just watching the game what's the thing you're most looking forward to on your match day I mean what is the process that that you do so I love my match day process and so I get the train up from Kent so I drive to Ebbsfleet and um, on match day Ebbsfleet basically becomes Tottenham International get into into town and and then get the tube up to um, Seven Sisters and although there are closer train stations I love the 20 minute walk down Seven Sisters towards the stadium it's it's just the whole experience and then you know I like the march back to the tube station probably disappointed with the way we played and the result and sitting in silence um on the tube back to to Kent really um and yeah it's just there's you know there's a whole much day experience about it but I genuinely I love my club I find it 
frustrating sometimes with the results, but ultimately end of the day, you know, football is bigger than just the, the game of football. You know, there's a whole community to it. There's a, there's a spirit to it. It's enormously important to our economy. It's enormously important to our tourism economy. And, you know, I think sometimes we undervalue what football and indeed what sport does to this country. And I, I look forward to getting back and, and supporting both my my Premier League team and indeed my local non-league teams. Tracy, thank you so much for your time and uh, I hope Spurs win a cup for you and I hope we're all back in Stadia soon enough, but thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you so much to Tracy for giving up her time to speak to me. This year's Weeks of Action campaign has seen over 60 clubs sign up across the English pyramid with pledges to support the campaign and promote disability access and inclusion in football, either by home match day advertisement or virtually across social media and on their website. Two people who have signed up to this campaign alongside their clubs are Alice and Laura. Laura is the Disability Access Officer or DAO at Wolverhampton Wanderers, aka Wolves, and Alice is the Commercial and Fan Engagement Executive for Knox County. I have to apologise in advance regarding the audio quality in this chat. We are conducting all interviews via Zoom at this point in time. We are in the hands of the internet gods. Let's just say the gods were not shining down on poor Alice's internet connection the day that we recorded. But as is the way nowadays, we got by. I start off this chat by checking in on how their seasons have been going before we get on to the important subject matter of Weeks of Action. I am speaking to Alice and Laura, both their club, Knox County and Wolves, respectively. With County, I have a bit of a rivalry being from Nottingham. So <laughs> first off, Alice, I'm going to come to you. How is the bad side of the Trent doing? Are you OK? How's football? We, can I just add, well, I'm on the right side of the, the Trent. You might argue with that. But yeah, things are going OK. Um, bit of a turbulent season for everybody. You know, we're continuing playing football. That's what we want to do. We're wanting to get out of the National League and, and, and get promoted back to the Football League and I think you know that, that that's where we belong so you know we're going to turn up every Saturday and continue playing football and fingers crossed we get back to where we belong. I mean for you Laura how's Wolves season been going? It's been a pretty awkward season really for Wolves I mean they've had two fabulous seasons on the bounce where you know they they finished seventh qualified for Europe had an amazing season last year with Europe and now all of a sudden that they're in a stream of bad luck. I mean, we, we did have a good game on Sunday against Southampton, which has sort of picked things up again. But other than that, it's, it's one of those seasons where it's a mid-table season. Is that because the fans aren't there to push them along or is it just bad luck losing some key players? So let's kind of start talking about the serious stuff then. So with the suspension of fans at Stadia, how how have you been going about continue to engage with your disabled supporters? I'm going to come to you first, Laura. I've been engaging with supporters virtually. It really is the best way to engage based on the fact we can't see people in person. There's a lot of supporters out there who don't have access to emails, phone calls, things like that. So even writing letters comes into the mix. Um, just to keep touching base with them. It was gratefully received because I don't think fans want to think they're forgotten and they're not forgotten at all. What have Notts County been doing then during uh, this this horrible time? We've been trying to do a lot. You know, every every club will say, you know, supporters are at the heart of their club, but they really are for us. For a lower league football club, supporters 
play a huge, huge part in the future of a club as well. Um, and it was our chance really to give back to supporters. It's been a perfect opportunity for us to down tools a little bit and focus on more of the supporter engagement, which has been fantastic for, for me personally. You'd agree, Liam, football is a, you know, a huge part of people's life. Coming down to Medal Lane on a Saturday or a Tuesday night is a huge part. And it's what people sometimes get out of bed for and go to work for knowing that they can purchase their ticket on a Saturday and feel like they're coming home and unfortunately that's been taken away from supporters and you know as heartbreaking as that is we've tried to bring Lane to them inside their four walls so we've been working a lot with our first team to try and engage them as much as possible but also we've linked with AGK Nottingham um, and they've been our official charity partner for the whole season and we've raised managed to raise thousands and thousands of support um, money to help their campaign campaigns during COVID-19. So food hampers, being able to uh, pay for petrol for volunteers to go out and get whatever anybody needs. And you know what, it's been rewarding to see how many supporters have, have really took to it. And it just brings it home, to be honest, that football is about people and it's about how it makes people feel. And I, I feel we've done incredibly well with that. So it's been amazingly nearly a year since fans have been altogether in a stadium the end of weeks of action was cut off because of the covid pandemic i mean how are you both going to continue to celebrate access and inclusion when fans can't be inside your ground well we continue to celebrate inclusion all of the time i mean i'm i'm always putting things uh, on twitter and social media but it's important to highlight all of the good work that has been done so supporters don't forget what it's like to attend a live match but it is a tough year and it's tough this year with no physical activities to hold as you said about uh, fans coming into the ground even at limited capacity i mean also a lot of other people's needs could quite possibly change over the next 12 months and the last 12 months gone and by the time we attend a live match there could be new facilities that they need to use so it is important to get this known so people don't worry about coming back and have that anxiety Alice last time I think weeks of action was happening at County I was actually meant to come down to Nottingham and come and, and assist and support obviously that got curtailed so what are you going to try and do this year to try and uh, continue to, to be a part of the campaign that Notts County have always supported yeah I think like Laura said it's not a really a stop start campaign it's something that you've got to continue throughout the whole season because I think part of it is education and I think it's educating supporters and you know you need that as a continuous basis you can't just say oh one week we're doing this and then not again so just a prime example of, of what we done in the past is our sensory rooms they're one of the biggest things that I'm proud of and I know a lot of our supporters are at Notts County it's great to have that facility at National League Club and we're very very honoured to have that I think like Laura said we've got to remind supporters that those opportunities and those magic moments are still going to happen just not at the moment coming to you then Laura with this question Alice spoke about lasting legacy of weeks of action and one of hers was the um, sensory room can you kind of give me an example of what something that Wolves have done during weeks of action that you that you've seen carry on over the years one of my favorite weeks of action and it was the most recent one up until this year and it really showcased that the need for more inclusion was needed and it was to help uh, the deaf supports on a match day on the run-up to that week of action my tweets were in sign language in the run-up and the match day itself we had the team news signed on those big screens 
and we had a deaf choir uh, that performed on the pitch at half time. And we also had sign language lessons in the fan zone as well, where supporters could learn to sign their own names and the players' names. But overall, it really made me think as a DAO that the deaf community make up a good proportion of supporters, yet they need more in the way of effective communication. The day was all streamed on big screens and the crowd loved it. So whatever legacy that we show, it's always a lasting one at Wolves. They're always really supportive. How have you been able to keep access and inclusion uh, a focal point at the club while fans aren't there? It's been a really unprecedented year, this one, but it's helped me as a DAO to help make changes sooner than I would have done because they would have been planned for the closed season anyway, but it's just got me working on things at home. Since we left the ground in March 2020, which was almost a year ago, we've worked hard to help supporters access the games from their homes. So the supporters are still watching games, be it on TV. So this year, implemented audio description commentary straight to people's devices. This is accessible through the Wolves website and the Wolves app. So it means people across the world can listen to enhanced audio description from every home and every away game rather than relying on the TV commentary, which sometimes isn't that accessible. I've also introduced an audio match day programme, which gives people and partially sighted uh, people the chance to listen on important match day information. It's hard to talk about changes at Molyneux itself because I've not been there but I know that we are adding a disabled drop-off zone in the car parks that is in process and we're working on transport for next season as well but it's hard to talk about it because we're not there. Yeah, of course. I mean, for for you, Alice, you're working across multiple supporter groups, and I'm kind of interested to know in in how disability is viewed within other supporter groups outside of um, the the DSA that you have in Notts County. Do you think enough focus? is on disability and if not how can we as a collective make sure they does get get the focus that i and level playing field truly believe it deserves so in Notts County, um, from personal experience, our other support groups have been fantastic with our DSA. So they get involved in fundraising initiatives. So, for example, uh, one of our support groups fundraised for money to purchase some digital headsets and some gadgets and tablets for our sensory rooms. They've also fundraised for um, waterproofs to go over to wheelchairs, pitch side. So... Generally, our supporter groups work really, really well together. And that's really, really important because I think the understanding and the awareness between each supporter group has to be there. Yeah, okay, their objectives might be different, but at the end of the day, they're aiming for one goal and that is to make a match day a better experience for everybody and for the love of the club. But as a general perspective, I think in society as a whole, I think this whole stigma around disabilities has got a lot better. I still think there's a lot more work to be done, especially with, I don't know if you agree with me here, Laura, um, with hidden disabilities. I think that's always something that people don't generally understand as much. Um, and a lot of my work in the past is, is, is try to re- increase the awareness and support of those supporters but disabled people now constitute the largest minority group in the UK so I think it's something that we need to all action on and we've all got to be accountable for it in some you know degree we've all got to educate ourselves and try and you know when you turn up to Meadow Lane what can I do to make somebody's match day better and if everybody did that would be in a lot better place in football in my job I try and you know do it a day at a time and if I can make one difference on a match day um, to a supporter you know I can walk away very very happy but I think if everybody collectively had that same attitude I think do you know what 
we could make huge, huge changes in football. Um, but I do think, unfortunately, there's still work to be done. But as I say, we've, we've come on leaps and bounds, I think. Last question. What does weeks of action mean to you and your club? It's a very generic kind of question, but it's an easy way to wrap up a podcast. So... What, what does weeks of action mean uh, to you guys? Laura, I'll come to you first. Weeks of action is a really important week where we can showcase any of the accessibility items or pathways that we have to include people with disabilities in the world of sport. I mean, it's not just football, but we're football-based, so that's how we uh, portray our weeks of action. It's about involving players, involving staff, involving supporters, involving anybody who's associated with our club to include those people with a disability for any of the match day running it's really important to us that, that's the same for me i think you know laura works at wolves i'm at Notts county in the national league but if you strip all the stadia back and you strip all the, the the nice things that people can provide on a match day at the end of the day weeks of action is actually remembering people and actually making sure that match day experience is right for people whether it's making them feel safe comfortable making them feel like, you know, they're giving back to their club as much as we're giving back to them. It's just remembering and focusing on that, I think, is the most important thing for us. And that's what we can be most proud of, I think, you know. And football is so relatable for so many. I think that's generally because of the support of themselves and and the the people that work in football. It's long hours, but, you, you know, you put a lot in, but you get a hell of a lot back. Thank you, Laura and Alice. I, I wish both of your clubs success. A little bit more Laura's than uh, Alice's, but still, thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you, Liam. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Liam. Bye. Thank you so much to Laura and Alice for taking the time to speak to me. It's not too late for you to play an active part in this year's weeks of action campaign we are asking all supporters to take a selfie of themselves in their team colors and let us know across social media what you love about attending live sport using the hashtag access for all don't forget to tag in level playing field into your post that's it for this week thank you so much for listening and if you have enjoyed what you have heard please go rate and review on apple Podcasts. that's it for this month i will talk to you in a few weeks time bye-bye